0: Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect.
1: And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's show. Jeremy Gretchen, welcome. Thank you. Hey there. Steve Mailer is going to be joining us a little bit later on a topic regarding reuse of film. We're going to be talking about the Trouble with Tribble's DS9 crossover episode, so stay tuned for that. It looks like we're actually going to be able to go to convention again pretty soon. What do you think of that? I can't wait. (laughs) I think a lot of people feel that way. And it is uh, definitely, uh, I know I'm climbing the walls and uh, a lot of
0: people are. This sounds silly, but I'm looking forward to being able to try on the clothes when I go clothes shopping. I know that sounds really dumb, but it's like. (laughs) I'm tired yeah, are to things that don't fit right. I'm dealing, returning I'm dealing with them.
1: the COVID-20 myself, so I need to lose a little weight to get back into my costumes. But uh-huh. I'm going to start working on that. But uh, all that being the case, that's up and coming. We're going to talk about the events in the back half of the show. And coming up next year, we've got a great news segment for you and an
2: extended Q&A. Today's news is brought to you by Symposium Coffee and Whiskey House. Make your day count. We are in Old Town, Sherwood, and Tiger. Symposiumcoffee.com. So, what do we have in the news this week? Sony to keep
0: PlayStation
1: 3 and Vita stores open. So, Sony is actually listening to their customers, which is a good thing and doesn't always happen. Mm -hmm. But in this particular case, they are. And what this is about is these are both older pieces of equipment. And when they're talking about stores, this isn't brick and mortar. This is the ability to buy games online. And they had originally talked about shutting down these formats idea being that the uh, PlayStation 4, of course, is out, PlayStation 5 is out now. Make Good luck getting one, but they do exist. And hmm. the idea with the PlayStation 3 now being considered obsolete technology. The problem is that you can't get these games on the newer formats yet unless they've been re-released, and shutting down these older stores would cut off a lot of content. The other side of it is, is things are still being developed for Vita, and those developers were kind of in a panic because it was that they either needed to finish their projects before the stores shut down that they are actively working on or drop them all altogether. So for the foreseeable future, and according to Sony, there isn't a date now to close. They're just going to keep them open for the foreseeable future, whatever that may mean, and they will still be out there, so we will still have access to older games.
2: Science uses AI to try and decode language of whales.
1: Yeah, you know, it seems like I saw something about this in a movie. I don't remember what it was, but the idea of being able to talk to whales. And mm-hmm. they do have a language. You need a Vulcan. Yeah, Was, that a, was it a Star Trek movie? Yeah, now I remember. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so AI is very good. Specific AIs are very good at being able to do language translation. And this is a very interesting project. National Geographic Explorer is part of this, and what they're dealing with is trying to see if maybe they can get some understanding of how whales talk to each other and eventually be able to talk back. So, you know, if we are eventually looking at the idea of going out into space and maybe someday we do meet other species like in the Star Trek or Star Wars universe, having the ability to communicate is a big deal. And this is a first step that we can start to look at this type of technology on our own planet. Agreed. Bitcoin loses fourteen percent of value in one hour. Yeah, Jeremy, I believe you predicted that this
2: was going to eventually happen. It's not backed by anything. It's not worth any. It's not even worth the paper it takes to draw it up.
0: <laughs> is there any paper? No, I thought it just floated fake. around all, in the air and yeah, it electronic. wasn't really
1: there. It, it, it always <laughs> amuses me when there's articles on Bitcoin and they show pictures of these gold looking coins and there is no such physical thing i mean it is completely electronic and uh it skyrocketed in value this year between the pandemic and the fact that there's a lot more acceptance you can use it in paypal as a for example tesla will let you buy a car with bitcoin so you can actually get physical objects for it really shot the value up to over sixty thousand dollars and uh it dropped at about to oh, eight thousand to about fifty one thousand uh and it has rebounded a little bit. but Jeremy, I absolutely agree with you that we're dealing with something here that may or may not keep its keep its all. No money in the history of the world that isn't backed by anything has ever maintained its value. They always eventually crash now this is a new thing, of course, being that it's completely electronic. And the other thing with Bitcoin mining is they do have it set up to a point where you won't eventually won't be able to get more Bitcoin. So there's going to be a limited amount in circulation, and that's it. But at the end of the day, I still am going to keep my greenbacks for now.
2: Charles Geschke, founder of Adobe, dead at
3: age 81.
1: Yeah, this is kind of a bummer. I mean, we all use Adobe products, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. one way or another. And I think that they've been an absolutely incredible software development company, depending on whether you like or hate some of their products, they've always been very innovative. We talked a few weeks ago about them shutting down Flash, but in its day it was definitely something that was a really a step ahead on the internet that you could do graphics and all these type of things when it wasn't openly supported. He is also the developer that created the technology for PDFs. So those portable documents that we get with Adobe Reader is Mm -hmm. uh, something that he came up with back in the day. He originally worked for Xerox, has died at the age of 81. And a lot of what we use today wouldn't be out there. And one kind of footnote on his life that I thought was kind of interesting is uh, he survived a kidnapping in 1992. Wow. And uh, he was kidnapped at gunpoint. He was 52 at that time. He was held for four days. A suspect was caught with $650,000 in ransom money. And eventually led the police to figure out where he was held captive. And he was, of course, uh, recovered or rescued, you know. But uh, definitely not an experience that I ever want to go through.
0: Yeah, that sounds kind of scary, but um, amazing. High-speed rail line between Las Vegas and L.A. to break ground. Now, they've been talking about this stuff for a long time, so this is exciting.
1: Yeah, high-speed rail has been a subject of debate for a long time. I personally... Uh, since this is our show, I can give my opinion here, and I think it's a good thing. I think it has its place in the United States. It's used everywhere else in the world. And right now in the U.S., we do not have high-speed rail lines, that being defined as something that can go over 200 miles an hour. And um, I use Amtrak for Seattle, and I know on the East Coast it's used a lot. So the use of the train does make sense. But the cost of putting these things into place has been a big showstopper, barrier to entry, and that type of a thing. So it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out. Now, I definitely think the other idea of having the line between Los Angeles and Las Vegas makes a lot of sense. The three of us have driven that route. Mm -hmm. It's open. It's a a good place to do it, it seems like. There isn't a lot that they're up against. And it's busy. It's busy. You're not going through a forest, you know, that kind of thing. But I mean, it's really, really congested and busy, at least when we did
0: it. And um, I, I think a lot of people would benefit from having a,
1: a nice train ride. Yeah, I think, you know, it would be something. And if if they work it like the uh, Starliner going up to Seattle and British Columbia, where you kind of can just sit, take a breath, you have Wi-Fi on some of the trains, they have food. If they're longer uh, runs, I would imagine this one probably would. And it does actually do a lot to reduce your carbon footprint, which is something that we've been talking about. And the reality of the situation is is I could see where something like this from that standpoint would be extremely beneficial, where they're used in other parts of the world, Europe, Asia, people use them, people like them. So, you know, I I, I think we're heading in the right direction here, and I think this is a good thing. Hopefully, they're able to get it done. I know they're being very um, hopeful, because if it works out on that line, we're going to see it in a lot of other places.
2: SpaceX wins $2.9 billion moon lander contract. Yeah, so SpaceX is going to put people on the moon.
1: <laughs> cool.
2: Elon Musk is quoted as
1: saying that they've won a $2.9 billion with a B moon lander contract to uh, work with NASA. NASA awarded the contract, and uh, they were competing with uh, Jeff Bezos, Blue Origin, another defense contractor called Dynetics and uh, one out over them. And, you know, love or hate Mr. Musk. There's a lot of <laughs> innovation that's going on here. And I do think he's bringing a lot of new technology. They just uh, talked about the line under the Las Vegas Convention Center that's using Tesla cars, first of its kind in the world, to transport. So there's no carbon footprint. And uh, you can get in a Tesla car and actually drive from one end to the other. So that just goes to show mm-hmm. how big their convention center is, too. But, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't oh, need that. But the thing of it is, and the reality is, at the end of the day, uh, these kind of new technologies are very necessary. There is a carbon footprint on the back end of manufacturing. And in future weeks, we're going to be talking about lithium because that can be very hard on the environment to mine. So dealing with all this kind of stuff, you're trading out some things for another. But at the end of the day, a lot of what is coming up here is prototyping stuff that we will use will actually make a huge difference in the future. So, you know, a lot of it, I think, is a little bit suspect, but a lot of it, I think, is good. And I do want it's not a flamethrower one of these days. I think that's definitely something that's important for me to <laughs> own. This is User-Friendly <laughs> 2.0. We'll be back after the break with some great information for you. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining me, Steve Mailer. Steve, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, Bill. How are you doing today?
1: Good. And yourself?
3: Not bad. It's, it's been a busy week, but all is good.
1: Yeah, busy is good. I mean, you know, it's uh, where we want to be at. And You know, we were talking earlier uh, when we actually got to meet up last week and about the idea of repurposing film. Mm-hmm. And I know that you had talked about that you were watching the Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Deep Space Nine Trouble with Tribbles yes. crossover episode.
3: Yeah, that was fun.
1: And uh, for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's great. Even if you don't like DS9, but if you like Star Trek, watch that one. It's really cool. But it is definitely one where we were taking film footage that was originally shot, what, 40 years earlier or something like that?
3: Yeah, in the late 60s.
1: Yep. And uh, combining it with something that was made in the late 90s. Right, and uh, so how do they do that?
3: Oh my gosh! Um, well, this this kind of goes back to a discussion we had. Um, when was it? Last July, I think, where we talked about um, the the interesting aspect of shooting film and TV projects on film versus video. Right, <clears throat> because film gives um, old programming a new life of its own as technological generations uh, catch up with each other. And this is an example of that. This is an example where something that was shot for TV, and I, would, I would guess that Star Trek was probably shot on, the, I don't know if it was 35 millimeter film, but it was certainly 16 uh, back in the day. And that still lends itself really, really well to today's programming of, you know, 4k, um, programming. So what I imagine they would have had to have done was, uh, work really, really hard on establishing matching colors because even the stuff they shot in the nineties, the colors look the same as the sixties. Now there were a couple of places where I noticed that the grain of the image, there was a difference. Sure. And, and, and of course, you know, you can smooth things out you can you know try to match gamma you can try to do things so that it looks you know current <clears throat> to each other so <clears throat> it doesn't always work but um it, they they matched it really really well so it was fun watching Kirk and Spock in the background where Cisco and Dax were doing things <laughs> in the foreground trying to blend in with with the the old Enterprise crew. It was fun. It was kind of fun to
1: watch. And it all works. And, you know, it's been a while since (coughs) we've actually talked about this conceptually. You were saying last July, so about a year ago now. Mm -hmm. And the original, even television, whether it's 16 or uh, 32 millimeter, I think. um, 35. 35 millimeter, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Whatever format it's done in, that can be easily upscaled to 4K as we use now because it's film. And when you have things that were shot directly to tape and that kind of stuff, 70s, 80s, and early 90s, that was done at 480i, You, it's not so easy to remaster because no. you're dealing with a lot less rev, uh, resolution to begin with. Mm-hmm. Correct. So, you know, I know the first time I saw the original Star Trek, Captain Kirk, on 4K on Netflix, and it is out there. It's kind of fun to check it out. And it almost felt like there was a stage in front of you. If you're used <laughs> to the way that it's set up, It was almost like you were in the room watching an actual set yeah, and them dealing with it. And when you add to it, uh, like Atmos surround sound and that, and it's obviously not mastered in that because they didn't have that, but it was stereo. So you have some of these effects and you're sitting there going and I'm looking at the bridge of the Enterprise and it's super clear. And then I'm noticing all the monitors above are obviously a piece of cloth because you can Mm -hmm. see the wrinkle, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, (laughs) that type of thing that wouldn't have been thought about. And the other interesting thing is a question that we've been asked this too on the show before is why they picked the colors they did for the uniforms. And it was because something you you don't worry about now at all. But in the sixties, a lot of people, the majority of people had black and white televisions. So you needed something that was going to stand out and be differential on black and white as well as in color. That's interesting. So that's where that, you know, that's where that all came from. So you're thinking about a lot of different things that uh, that you wouldn't have you know wouldn't have even come or wouldn't come into consideration today now you produce modern video and in high definition and I know you and I are going to be working on a 4k project starting in what two weeks here Yes. and um, so what is if you were shooting on film today versus shooting in 4k on digital what are some of the things you have to take into consideration
3: well that that's kind of a hard question to grasp because I, I can't think of a good reason why I would shoot anything on film anymore? Sure. sure. Um, because you know you have um, you have so many more limitations of doing film these days, uh, and a lot of that has to do a lot of that is just basic cost. Right. Where you're you're dealing with cost, you're dealing with development time, turnaround time, things that you have to do in order to just process the film and make it available to you in the editing room. Um, it's not really viable. It's not really, there's no justification for really doing anything on film, especially at the scale that I tend to do things as, as, a, as a producer.
1: Now, I know when I first learned the editing process, and I do not have the artistic flair, I, for lack of a better term, that you do to make it look right. I know the mechanics of it, but there's an art to doing editing and having it come out right, but totally. the, the cut in and cut out, and I first learned on videotape where you actually had two decks and yes. we're essentially copying, and you had to worry about losing resolution and all this stuff.
3: You get generational losses, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And on digital, you wouldn't have that at all now, so I imagine that's a lot easier.
3: It is, it is. And, um, yeah, but just the, just the overall cost factor, if you're, if you're going to do something for high-resolution or high-end broadcast or, you know, theatrical, you're really going to do something on 4K or better.
1: Right, right, yeah, I know. We're actually uh, 8K, and they're actually talking about a 16K uh, master reel product. I can only imagine the size of yeah. the files from something like yeah. that. Because the 4K is huge. I mean, you know, you're you're talking gigabytes of information yes. for one production. 8K, and it's it's an exponential increase, not just doubling. Right. Um, so you you know you're going to a situation here where there's a lot more storage. So. 16K, I guess it'll make the hard drive people happy. Uh, anyway, all right, well, Steve, as always, thank you very much. We're out of time. This is user friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We have had a lot of questions regarding the FCC and its new program for bringing broadband to rural areas. And a component of that that we talked about previously is an app that they want all of us to use to be able to give them real information on our network speed. And it's something that you can download on uh, Google Play or the Apple Store, depending on what kind of a smartphone you have. And they want you to run the results and provide it to them. And the reason that they want to do this is because the results that are out there right now, for the most part, are given by the big network providers, Comcast, Charter, Verizon, and so on. And, you know, there's obviously no idea that maybe those would be uh, you know, puffed a little bit. Uh, uh, yeah, so, just a wee bit. Just a wee bit. <laughs> and, uh, uh, of course, certainly not making that accusation. However, the FCC does want direct information. So, Gretchen, you had an opportunity to try out this app.
0: Yeah, um, I thought it would be something useful to do, and I was kind of curious. But so I I installed it, and then I ran it, and then I stared at the results, and I thought to myself, I have no idea what any of this means. So (laughs) then I thought, well, you know, I'm probably not the only one. So uh, can you explain what some of these things are? I I, I, get, I have a vague idea what download and upload means. Not exactly sure. I have a vague idea about latency. I have no idea about jitter, except for maybe
1: too much coffee. So right. maybe you can explain this. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. And uh, for anybody that wants to follow along, we're going to put a screenshot of this up on our social media at One User Friendly, so you can see what the output of the screen actually looks like. But you've got a couple of different metrics here, and starting from the top, download and upload are basically what they say, the speed of which you can download and the speed of which you can upload. Now, these might be pretty close to each other, or they might be vastly different numbers like on this test. And usually when you buy high-speed internet connection, the speed that they're selling you is your download. The upload is usually a different thing. Now, there are some differences if you're on a fiber connection, And some DSL connections, this might be where both are close to each other or the same. But the idea here is that the majority of what you're going to do is be downloading data. So therefore, that's where the focus is. And that's what you're you're paying for. So that's why these numbers are a lot of times vastly different. So ask your internet provider what your upload speed should be. And the other side of it is, is if you're paying for, say, a 100 megabit connection, you're consistently only getting 60. I had this problem then you might want to talk to your network provider and ask them what's going on with that. One other thing to consider here, too, is the fact that, uh, unfortunately, sometimes your Wi-Fi, especially if it's older, can also be a part of this problem. Latency is a term in networking that is used to determine the amount of time it takes for data to get to its destination across the internet and then get back. So round-trip delay. So in other words, if you're going through three or four different access points, you might have a delay at each of those points, and that will cause that to slow down. And this is an important thing to know, because a lot of times, especially in the gaming world, if there's latency, and you go and do something in the game and it doesn't register to the server, that can be you know very bad. Um, catastrophic was the word I was going for there, if it's on <laughs> World of Warcraft. so
0: Yeah, I was to say. <laughs> that's what that is.
1: Now, the other one, Jitter. Uh, outside of a caffeine problem (laughs) um, is the delay in sending data packets over your network connection. Uh, This is often caused by network congestion and sometimes route changes. So the route being the uh, actual physical path that your data goes over the internet to get from one point to another. And one of the areas where this can really affect what you're doing is audio and video quality. So a lot of times if you're watching a, a stream like on Hulu or Netflix or something and the video stops or it gets out of sync with the voice, these are some common problems yeah. that can be caused by jitter, which is essentially congestion on your network or on the internet and it's causing a time delay. So, so it's causing w- that to go out of sync.
0: So would the jitter be our, our in-home in network or would it be out there?
1: It can be caused by either one.
0: Uh So, um,
1: if you're on an older Wi-Fi system, you can have jitter, uh, you know, if there's a lot of devices. Older Wi-Fi, where this comes into a problem, was really only designed for a couple of devices. And nowadays, we have usually a lot more than a couple. I've been told that I have 109 devices on my network, that that's considered a lot. I don't think it is. Uh (laughs) But um, that, if you don't have a modern Wi-Fi system and you have something like that, it can be created in-house. If it's not then it can also be on the network. Like if everybody's getting home from work and they're all wanting to download and watch Netflix at the same time, that can cause network congestion. Think of the idea of a freeway. The more cars you put on it, the slower they go. This is a very similar scenario. And that's kind of what you're talking about here. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Send us your questions and your comments. This is the section where we answer them. And this is how we do a lot of our programming. The way you send them in, there's a couple of different options. 503-766-6264. And again, so I don't get yelled at, that's 503-766-6264. Give us a call on that number. There's a 24-hour system. Take your calls. Leave your question on the voicemail and we will get it. The other way you can send it in is online. Our website is userfriendlynation.com. There's a link on that. One user friendly on Facebook, one user friendly on Twitter. Whatever works for you works for us. Send it in. Jeremy, Gretchen, what questions do we have for this week?
2: Are exoskeletons real?
1: Yeah, so this is an interesting topic from one of our most avid listeners that uh, came in. And the answer to this question, surprisingly enough, is yes, you can actually buy one. Now, you're, it's a little more than the coffee at Starbucks.
4: You know, right, you have to have <laughs> yeah, some <money>. <laughs>
1: uh, They run about $60,000 or more. And what they're marketing these for is a number of different things. Definitely quality of life if you have trouble walking or that kind of a thing. But the other side of it, too, is for use in industrial production, anything where you need to lift. And you want an Iron Man suit. I'd like to get one just because I think it would look cool. Uh <laughs> I'm being told that's not a reason, but uh no. yeah, <laughs> but it is cool. <laughs> but uh, they have them. Um, one company that uh makes them is a company called Sudex, uh, Sudex.com, if you want to check it out. And we were looking at that, and they make three different components, one for the knees, one for the arms, and one that's a whole body suit. And um they are something that you can actually get and wear, and they're designed to be comfortable so that you can sit down with them on and that type of a thing. They aren't quite as bulky as what we've seen in some of the sci-fi movies. But definitely looks like something that could be very interesting. If I'm understanding the documentation correctly, they'll lift up to about 250 pounds. So that'll impress your significant other, I would think. (laughs) Definitely. Is the Winter Soldier a cyborg? So Jeremy, you know a lot more about the comic books than I do. And we've had the TV show, of course. What's the answer to this?
2: Well, I mean, the obvious answer would be yes, because he has a robotic arm, you know, and it's not like some weird thing where it's got all kinds of things connected to him. It's just a metal arm. So obviously there has to be some sort of control for it in his brain somewhere. Right. You know, it can't just be flex a muscle to move the wrist and whatnot, because that's not how he uses it.
0: And think about the Star Trek definition Mm -hmm. of
2: what a cyborg is. Yeah.
0: So it, it, would, it would fit. Yeah.
2: Now it's so interesting yes. because there is
1: a line in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier that uh, he makes the comment to him, to the Winter Soldier, saying, I'd love to see what's floating around in that cyborg brain of yours. Yeah. <laughs> so that would imply that maybe there's something a little more going on here than just the robotic arm. Mm-hmm. So I think what? our answer to this would be, yes, the Winter Soldier is a cyborg. Yes.
2: yes. That's our answer. So Uh, what do you think is going to happen next with Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I know what I think. I know what I think, too. All right, Gretchen, let's start with you. What do you think?
0: Okay, because of Jeremy's understanding of comic books and our discussions. So it seems like uh, either the Falcon, Sam, Mm -hmm. or the Winter Soldier, Bucky, will become the next uh, Captain
2: America. Right. And with the other fun and exciting stuff is we have um, John Walker is going to become uh, a, a different version of, you know, quote, unquote, Captain America, uh, because he still thinks he's um, capable of being Captain America. But he has taken the super soldier serum and it's obviously shifted his thinking a little bit. <laughs> so he's either going to become super patriot, which is the uh, character he, he did. Or he's going to become US agent, depending on which faction of what super villainy thing is going on there. Oh, yeah. The lady with the purple streak
0: in her hair. Yeah. yeah it's she's, like, who
2: is she? We're, we're not entirely sure. She might be part of Hydra. She might not. Yeah. It depends. Yeah.
0: So that's so. so where it's going. And by the way, <laughs> and, then, think- well, and then there was another thing. What is it? You told me that the, uh, the black fellow who had been experimented on, his son or grandson, grandson would become Captain America in, in
2: another future. series. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's another. There's weird, always that. there's weird stuff going on there and timelines
3: and things.
1: So and it's one thing <laughs> with the comic books you can do is is reboot that and have some different outcomes, which is kind of cool. So you don't always know it's going to be exactly what's in the comic books. Now I did check it out and I hate to say this, but you cannot order the Super Soldier serum <laughs> on Amazon. They <laughs> don't have it available. So uh Kind of a bummer. <laughs> uh,
0: and I was going to send you a little vial with blue water in it. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> hmm. Why can't I send text from my computer on
1: Google Fi anymore? Because Google says that they've decided to make our life easier. This uh-huh. didn't, in my opinion. <laughs> okay. So anyone that doesn't know, Google Project Fi actually is really a cool thing. It's a way to get a cell phone. It's a system on Google's network. Uh, it's actually a very, very good value for what you get. Yep, And um, they have a number of different things available at fi.google.com, where you can go to check it out. And we hadn't had real good luck with a lot of the big name carriers. So this option came up and we decided to try it out three years ago now, I think, and if it mm-hmm. had much better luck.
0: I'm it, happy with them.
1: I'm happy yes. with them too. And their phones work on a system where they can actually back up on pretty much any mainstream network that's out there. So if you don't have signal on one, it can switch to the other, or it can work on Wi-Fi. And it does that quite well too. So We've been very, very happy with this, but one of the features that they had is if you use Google Hangouts and you had Google Fi, you could send and receive text messages or Hangout messages all from that interface. And now for whatever reason, they've split it out. Um, you can still do it from your computer. I had to figure this out. You go to message.google.com and log in, and you can send and receive text messages there. But I do feel like it was much more efficient to have that all in one window instead of having it broken out into two different places. But You know, who am I? I am not of the pay grade to make those decisions. So we'll see what Google comes up with next here for it. Is Comic-Con still being held over Thanksgiving this year? Yeah, this has been a little bit uh, controversial. and Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving weekend. Now, I would have no problem with that. In fact, if they hold it, I'm probably going to go ahead and go to it. Yeah. But we didn't really get to have Thanksgiving last year. And I can understand we're, you know, taking the holiday... Now, if I do it, I would still celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday on the Thursday and then mm-hmm. probably go down for the weekend so that I could do both. But um according to Comic-Con's official information on this right now, those are the dates, and we'll announce this again at the end of the show, but uh, they're planning for it on Thanksgiving weekend, an in-person event, November 26th to the 28th. They still haven't announced ticket prices or even how to get passes what the capacity limits are going to be, all of that kind of stuff is, is still an unknown. But it is definitely something that is being considered.
0: Are are fraudulent emails and calls still a problem?
1: Yeah, I think just, so. Yeah, I think so. The short answer yes. to this is yes. The long answer <laughs> to this is yes, too. And we've just got a little bit of time here to really address this. And it warrants a lot more. But the thing of it is, is at the end of the day, it's still something to be careful and look out for. I just got an email this morning myself that said, your order for $600 and something for a laptop has been approved. No header as to what it was. But if you didn't approve this, click here to you know, dispute the charge, I suppose. And if you go on <laughs> that, it wants you to give a lot of personal information and that type of thing. So still something to watch out for. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Great show this week.
3: Yeah.
1: Absolutely. You know, we've been having to figure out, because this is normally where we talk about upcoming events. Uh,
2: in our or stuff year. we've done.
1: Stuff we've done. And uh, with the last year, <laughs> uh, there haven't been a lot of upcoming events or things that we have done. Um, but this week is starting to look a little bit different. I hope we are seeing a bit of a return to normalcy. We'll have to see what's safe here and if these things actually come off. But we've got a number of events coming up starting in July. Now, the first one we're going to talk about is virtual. The San Diego Comic-Con, July 23rd to 25th. They are doing it. It's going to be entirely virtual. But after that, (laughs) uh, we have a number of things that are real. And the first one that's going to be is the Black Hat Conference this year. Uh, Our reporter in Las Vegas, Chaz Wellington, is already set up and ready to go on that. So he's going to be there. That's going to be July 31st to August 5th. I might even try to go down to that one. I and bet the you, fo- he's excited. He's excited <laughs> about it. And he did a yeah. really nice job last year. So I can't wait to see what he comes up with this time around. And then the next weekend, we're going to be in Las Vegas for the Star Trek convention.
3: August Yay! 11th the 15th.
1: And that one I'm really looking forward to. I think I'm going to do some kind of a costume. Might be a mm-hmm. Klingon. We'll see what I come up with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. are are you guys looking forward to that one
2: yeah,
0: um, yeah. I don't, we don't know what we're going to dress as, and um, I have a, 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 this feeling that we have a friend who's going to tell us what we're going to wear
1: yeah yeah, I th- that's kind of where I'm headed with that one too so uh, you know this will work out so that's kind of cool and then the UFO festival in McMinnville Oregon this is one that we haven't had a chance to do yet we were going to and then it got shut down for COVID last year uh, that's going to be September 23rd to 25th and that one, from everything I've heard about it, is a lot of fun. And then the next one we talked about a little earlier in the show is a in-person mini San Diego Comic-Con, I guess is for lack of a better term. And the cool. dates are November 26th to 28th, so that's the weekend of Thanksgiving weekend. Of, uh, there we go, weekend of the weekend. It's the weekend of the Thanksgiving holiday.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> you'll get it eventually. Yep. Yeah.
1: And uh, so you know, there's a lot of uh, concern because we didn't have Thanksgiving last year that people want to be with their family. So let's see how this works out. They almost certainly are still going to have some kind of a limited capacity. So it may be a situation where if you can go, go, and if not, then the real, uh, as they call it, San Diego Comic Con, the in-person one, is planned for 2022, having to go going back to what would have been originally the way that they would have done it. So I think this is just something to kind of keep the momentum going and that type of a thing. And I know there's a lot of events queuing up for this fall since things are reopening and we're going to have a busy fall. Uh, The other Mm -hmm. one that's on our list right now is the Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, December 2nd to 5th. So that one's always a lot of fun. That's going to be a rainy time of year. So we'll see how that figures out. But you know, that upcoming events list is none of our technology conferences, which we are also going to have. So it's going to be a busy fall. (laughs) <laughs> so we'll keep you informed and as always until next week this is user friendly 2.0 keeping you safe on the cutting edge
2: user friendly 2.0 copyright 2014 to 2021 user friendly media group inc the views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily user friendly media group inc or this station music licensing by bmi hosting provided by we Podcast available at userfriendlynation.com, friendly the answerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts